You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. Today is a special literary edition of the Washington Health Report, in which we will talk to a physician who is also a writer for the New Yorker magazine and the New England Journal of Medicine. We'll talk about writing, about medicine, and about global health care. My guest, I think, must be some sort of superhuman. Uh, He was a Rhodes Scholar, winner of a MacArthur Genius Award. He is a practicing surgeon and an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School. But that's not all. Besides uh, all of that, he writes for The New Yorker and The New England Journal. He's just published a new book, his second book, To High Praise. And if that wasn't enough... He chairs a new consulting team for the World Health Organization on issues of international surgery and patient safety, and he has three children. Uh, His name is Dr. Atul Gawande. Welcome to the program, Dr. Gawande. Thank you. So the book is called Better, A Surgeon's Notes on Performance. Congratulations on uh, its appearance. Thank you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about it. What are you doing with this book? What do you say? Well, in one way, it's like my first book, Complications, which was just a book of medical stories. Um, But that first book was written while I was a resident, and I was trying to understand something that's sort of untaught in medicine, which is how we deal with imperfection. And in this book, um, I've come out of my training, and my perspective is now trying to struggle with the question of what does it mean to actually be good at something in medicine, and perhaps even harder, what does it mean to be great? Um, And so that's a series of stories trying to walk through um, all of the dilemmas along the way that come to mind as you try to struggle with those questions in medicine. Now, maybe the best thing, rather than ask you to describe it more, is to have you read uh, a little bit for us. Do you have a, a passage you can find that uh, give us a little flavor of the book? Yes, and uh, I'll just uh, read from it here. One ordinary December day, I took a tour of my hospital with Deborah Yakoe, an infectious disease specialist, and Susan Marino, a microbiologist. They work in our hospital's infection control unit, Their full-time job, and that of three others in the unit, is to stop the spread of infection in the hospital. This is not flashy work, and they are not flashy people. Yukoi is 45 years old, gentle-voiced, and dimpled. Marino is in her 50s and reserved by nature. But they have coped with influenza epidemics, Legionnaire's disease, fatal bacterial meningitis, and just a few months before, a case that, according to the patient's brain biopsy results, might have been Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, a nightmare not only because it is incurable and fatal, but also because the infectious agent that causes it, known as a prion, cannot be killed by usual heat sterilization procedures. If adults came back, the neurosurgeon's brain biopsy instruments might have transferred the disease to other patients, but infection control team tracked the instruments down in time and had them chemically sterilized. Yakoe and Marino have seen measles, the plague, and rabbit fever. They once instigated a nationwide recall of frozen strawberries, having traced a hepatitis A outbreak to a batch served at an ice cream social. Recently at large in the hospital, they told me have been a rotavirus, a Norwalk virus, several strains of Pseudomonas bacteria, a super-resistant Klebsiella, and ubiquitous scourges of modern hospitals, resistant Staphylococcus aureus and Enterococcus, which are frequent causes of pneumonias, wound infections, and bloodstream infections. Each year, according to the CDC, 2 million Americans acquire an infection while they're in the hospital. 90,000 die of that infection. The hardest part of the infection control team's job, Yakoe says, is not coping with the variety of contagions they encounter or the panic that sometimes occurs among patients and staff. Instead, their greatest difficulty is getting clinicians like me to do the one thing that consistently halts the spread of infections, wash our hands. 
Well, it's very, uh, it's very, it's very interesting. I, I commend you for the writing, which is very conversational. It sounds like you're just talking, which I think is is always high praise um, for a piece of writing. And so, hand washing uh, with all the high tech things we have going on in medicine today, and infection control, and so forth. Um, hand washing is the is the key. How does that how does that fit into the larger themes of the book that you talked about? Yeah, the um, I started off with something utterly mundane for a reason. The idea of how you get great at something in medicine boils down to trying to understand how we succeed when failure is incredibly easy. It is one decimal point put in the wrong place away from a disaster for a patient, or uh, one failure to wash your hands. That's the experience every every day of of medicine, and when you think about what it means to be great at something um, it, in medicine, it, it turns out it's not really genius. It's more the difficulty of recognizing all the different ways in which we can be fallible, all the hundreds of things that must be done step by step, and then understanding how you overcome that. Hand washing um, is emblematic because it's one of those things that we discovered 130 years ago as being very important to prevent the spread of disease. Um, that was when uh, maternal child deaths were found to be traced to failure of doctors to wash their hands. And yet here we are, a century and a half later, and we still have the epidemics of disease. Um, it matters in global health terms because conditions like the SARS virus that, w- that broke out in China uh, just a couple years ago, uh, it, it spread through 10 countries within a couple of weeks and killed 10,000 people. Uh, all uh, largely passed along by failure to wash hands. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking to author and surgeon Dr. Atul Gawande, who has a new book called Better, A Surgeon's Notes on Performance. Uh, Very interesting what you say. I think it has lessons far outside of medicine as well, this attention to detail and attention to the small things, and that the notion that genius is not not a conceptual leap often, but instead, uh, you know, a, a sort of careful uh, attention to a, a thousand little details. Yeah, and that's what I end up hoping to try to show when I then take people into how the military managed to lower the likelihood that a, a soldier wounded in the battlefield would die. They lowered it from a 25% chance where we've been for the last 50 years to under 10% in this war. And then you start getting to other, other qualities that become fundamentally important, both in the individual and in the larger sense of what we do um, at the systemic level. It's diligence and how we create worlds that can have attention to detail like, you descri- like I described. But then it's also, how do we allow for ingenuity? And how can we have a kind of bedside ingenuity that lets people um, uh, figure out how to achieve better and better result. Beyond bedside manner to bedside ingenuity. Um, I'm curious, does, does being a writer and stopping to reflect on what you do make you a better doctor, do you think? It does make me notice things. But I would say that you know, when I'm with patients, the idea of writing about anything is furthest from my mind. I treat a lot of, I'm a general surgeon. And so when I'm sitting down with a patient having to talk through a new diagnosis of cancer with them, all of that other stuff goes out of my mind. The reason writing, I feel like, really helps me is it, it, it keeps me from burning out. It lets me step back from the daily grind and see the larger picture of what's happening. Um, and, uh, and it gives me a little bit of a chance to reflect and, uh, and, and set it in context. 
Now, uh, you, you have a new position with the World Health Organization that we mentioned. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, in a way, it kind of stems from a lot of the writing in the book. Part of the case that um, I ended up coming to was that there are patterns and ways that we can do things to improve care here at home. And I got tasked with a, a small job of just trying to figure out how we improve our surgical results at our hospital. But then I was also tasked by the World Health Organization with a two-year project I'm directing to try to reduce surgical deaths globally. It seemed like an absolutely impossible task. But uh, what we did was we gathered surgeons. Well, one, one, one would think there would be countless cultural factors and social factors and all kinds of things playing into that. Some parts of the world much different from what you encounter in Boston. That's completely true. And, and we aimed for it to be something that could be relevant to everywhere from Boston to Bangladesh. And so the, the, uh, it was a steep uh, order. And I didn't actually know when I said, yes, I would do it, whether, whether we really could accomplish anything. It's another one of those irons in the fire that might, <laughs> might or might not heat up. And, uh, yeah, right. But we had a meeting um, that was our first meeting in January where we brought surgeons. We had about 50 people, surgeons, anesthesiologists, nurses, and even, even a couple of patients. And they were from Mongolia and Nigeria and India, China, UK, US. And what we asked was about the patterns that they were seeing um, that led to uh, avoidable surgical death. What we recognized was a couple of things. There are 150 million operations now being done worldwide in hospitals. And it is now more operations than there are child deliveries. We are horrified if, if there is a one in a thousand death rate for a mother in child delivery. Um, in the United States, it's one in 20,000. And, uh, and so we've spent a lot of health resources to try to minimize that chance to go after maternal uh, death and prevent it. But we would be thrilled if we had a one in 200 death rate from hospital surgery uh, in what what is the death rate now, or is there a number? One in two hundred in the U.S., and we know um, that in the developing world, in many countries, it's it's uh, it's much lower, much higher death rates. One in two hundred in the U.S., uh, including routine sorts of things. I mean, overall surgery. That's the for uh, for the U.S. for hospital surgery. Right. That's what we have. And and much higher death rate other parts of the world. That's right. And even in the U.S., we've recognized that that you know partly by looking at what our bell curve is, we can see that there's a wide difference across hospitals in our own community. Uh, you know, there are 40 million operations done in hospitals in the United States per year, and we see wide variability in, in the quality of those results. We have not tried to tackle it in a public health way. We've not tried to say, let's figure out how ordinary community hospitals can get fabulous results Instead, we sort of had this idea that we we're going to concentrate all the care in, in a few experienced, high-volume hospitals' hands, and, uh, and, and that's not a realistic way for us to go about it. Instead, it's part of this idea that uh, we have to recognize the simple things that can be done to raise everybody's level. So we're, we're almost out of time, but tell me just, just briefly, where, where do you go next with that? Uh, are you ready to start uh, instituting some programs, or are you still trying to formulate a plan? The fascinating idea that came out of it was that a simple checklist would make a huge difference worldwide, a kind of pilot's checklist with some basic 
uh, items like making sure the an, an antibiotic was given on time before you make an incision, that you have the right person, that it's the correct side of the body you're operating on, and that um, if there's blood needed in the room needed for this operation, that it's ready and available. There's a sort of number of basic checklist items that would make a difference everywhere. In the U.S. as well as in other parts of the world? That's right. We're discovering, we just now started to use checklists in the United States only a couple of years ago, a very simple one just to make sure you have the right patient on the right side of the body. And we haven't leveraged that yet to improve the basic reliability of what we do, but we can. Well, it's uh, genius is the, is the accumulation of close attention to 100, uh, 100 different details. That will bring us to a close. We've been talking with Dr. Atul Gawande. He has a new book called Better, A Surgeon's Notes on Performance. Thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Gawande. Thank you. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You've been listening to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. If you are a doctor and an author and feel you have something to share with us in a future program, or if you have other comments and questions, send us an email at xm at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening.